Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, February the 9th, 2023. A Yorkshireman and former British Prime Minister, James Harold Wilson, otherwise known as Harold Wilson, famously said that a week is a long time in politics. Well, certainly six days is a long time in tech. Um, this time last week or six days ago, we did a show with my old friend Keith Tier, the... Um, the presenter of That Was The Week, a man who aggregates tech news and knows what's happening in the Valley better than anyone, about doom to bloom in seven days. Keith believed um, six days ago that tech might be back, that there was a degree of bloom, uh, an early spring when it comes to technology. Well, that spring has become summer. Uh, six days is certainly a long time in tech. His newsletter this week is AI Can't Be Stopped. Uh, and Keith is a man who certainly can't be stopped. He is joining us from his office in Silicon Valley, which he shares with many other billionaire investors and entrepreneurs. Keith, Harold Wilson, not only a fellow countryman of yours and I, but also from Yorkshire, like you said, that a week is a long time in politics. Well, six days is certainly a long time in tech, isn't it? If it, you know, it, it can feel like a long time, but you know, let's be honest. This it, you use spring and summer. Well, the the seeds of this summer were being sown last winter. Um, uh, Open AI isn't new. Uh, uh, we're at chat. GPT-3, not one, and we'll soon have chat GPT-4. Uh, Google has been building its equivalent for a long time, years actually. So what we're seeing this week is the, 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 the flowers, the buds are coming out and chat GPT and other AI platforms clearly have reached a point of no return. They're part of the ecosystem now. We're gonna have to learn to live with them learn what they're good for, learn what they're not good for. I know on Monday of this week, of next week, you're doing um, a debate with Gary Marcus, who's also been on the show several times, one of the world's leading experts on AI, about whether or not all this AI is good for the world. You, as always, are optimistic and positive. Gary's more suspicious. What are you going to argue on Monday? Well, the, the, it's a traditional debate, and the, the question is, um, will... will Will AI, specifically ChatGPT, do more harm or more good for the world? And so we'll be arguing about that. And I think Gary is definitely very focused on the harm it can do in two dimensions. One is uh, teaching the world that the definition of AI is is a chatbot, which uh, it clearly isn't. So he doesn't. He wants to make clear that this isn't AI and define what it is. And then the second dimension is um, it's wrong a lot, and but sounds confident enough that you might think it's right. So it can also poison uh, the knowledge base. Um, so he's concerned about both. Uh, I'll be talking about the other side, which is um, you know that uh, it, it was able to pass the Amazon. Uh, software engineer exam this week. It was able to pass the Wharton MBA law exam 
this week. Right. Uh, yeah, so is that's really what it seems to me, Keith, that obviously the technology hasn't changed in the last couple of weeks. What's changed over the last couple of weeks is most people acknowledge that this thing is for real. At first, it had a lot of promise, but we've had promising technologies in the past that have proved to be duds, everything from uh, crypto to virtual, the virtual reality that Mark Zuckerberg is peddling at Meta. Is what's happened over the last two weeks generally a consensus? As you say, in the news of the week this week, you linked to stories about uh, ChatGPT passing a Wharton MBA exam, which actually isn't surprising. I mean, Trump claims to have gone to Wharton, so if he can pass, ChatGPT certainly should be able to. Uh, and also passing the Amazon software interview questions. Is that really what's happened? Well, what, what, what people are discovering is that ChatGPT is excellent if you ask it the right things. Um, it, uh, you sounds probably, like me, doesn't it, Keith? It, it sounds uh, like all of us, actually, Andrew. <laughs> Not only you. Um, uh, but if you if you ask it the right things and use it in, in, in the way that it's good at, it, it, it's super good. And that list of things it's good at includes lots and lots of very valuable and useful things. Um, now, you could also show all the things it's bad at and, and, and draw the conclusion, therefore, it's bad. Both conclusions are wrong. It isn't good. It isn't bad. It's good. Well, at we've heard the bad to it, with all due respect, Keith, we've heard that many times before. Oh, technology isn't good or isn't bad. It depends whose hands it in. Whose hands is chat GPT in? I, I just got a, an interesting um, piece about uh, the new king of the valley, uh, OpenAI's Sam Altman. Um, is he the new it man in Silicon Valley? Well, look, he's, he's super important because he's persevered. Well, firstly, he decided to spend his time on this. He, he's you discovered that, him, didn't you, Keith? We did a show about him about two years ago. We said he was super smart at that time. You, we didn't. You did. I didn't say anything about him. I did. And he, and he is super smart. Uh, and, you know, more to the point, for a guy who didn't need to do anything because he's made money, uh, he chose to spend time in this space. And he's now built and shipped um, staggeringly good products out of it that have changed the perception of all of us about what computers can and can't do and how humans can or can't leverage them. So I, I think he's uh, he's a special guy. He didn't come from anywhere. He was he didn't come from nowhere. I mean, he, he was a successful entrepreneur and investor. Um, so again, Keith, we, I've asked you this question before, but it's always worth asking again. For non-techies, what exactly is ChatGPT? ChatGPT is a, it's an interface to a machine learning natural language engine. And what does that mean? It means it can talk to you as if it's a human in sentences, um, and it can uh, answer your questions as if, as if it was a human, and it can draw on a vast body of knowledge uh, called a, a large language model in order to educate itself as to what to use in answering your questions. Um, so it, so it, it's, um, it's a, it, you could think of it as a massive database with, a, with, a, with the ability to speak to you and look up things in that database in real time to aid its conversation. And you can question it. It remembers what it said to you in a conversation. So you can ask it to... Um, drill down into a specific part and tell me more about that. 
So it, it, it's extremely uh, friendly to a human being uh, because it, you could talk to it as, as if it is a professor or... Um, Keith, or a you're, you're, uh, the reason we're doing this show early is because you're lucky enough to be going to a Bruce Springsteen concert here, um, in, in Texas uh, tomorrow. What chat GPT is very good at is borrowing the style of Bruce Springsteen, for example, to, to, to write new lyrics. It did it with Nick Cave, a song a few weeks ago. Nick Cave was very dismissive, saying that the quality of what it produced was third or fourth rate. I would guess that Springsteen yeah. would say the same thing. What I don't understand, though, is at what point, once this software begins to replicate the work of a Springsteen or a Cave or other artists, that they will sue it because they they do not own ChatGPT and OpenAI and Sam Altman do not own the style rights to Bruce Springsteen. So at what point, like with Napster, does this become a huge legal problem, particularly in terms of IP? Yeah. I think I think the word style, if you interpret it in the way that you just used it, which is a, a, um, a way of forming uh, a song, there's no copyright on style. I, you know, you, you could say that the Beatles copied the style of uh, Elvis Presley. Um, so, mm. you know, and they did. They copied a lot of things from Elvis Presley, but they also copied other things from... Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and, and so on. So, so I, I you know, if, if uh, and, and think of the whole history of bands that you've liked and how. Right. And then the best ones, of course, acknowledge it. I mean, Dylan, more than anyone else, or the Rolling Stones, both acknowledge their debt to the blues and to American music well, generally. Pete, Pete Seeger in Dylan's case. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't think style, uh, style. Um, but will we see, oh, do you think, a whole wave of legal cases against OpenAI? Will the Nick Caves and the Springsteens of the world, who tend to be, at least their lawyers, tend to be very reactive, very sensitive to intellectual theft, are they going to respond to this new technology? I mean, no one's really had time to even think it through yeah. yet. Well, you know, Getty Images did sue this week um, one of the AI image platforms, uh, Stable Diffusion, I think it's called, that, that uh, leveraged Getty Images' image base as part of its learning experience. So I think there will be lawsuits, but it won't be to do with new, uh, new works derived from old works. Um, it, uh, you know, uh, you can't stop a computer reading Bruce Springsteen's prior songs because they're on, they're on the public record. So uh, just like you and me can read them, and you and me can go and write a new song where we're trying very hard to be like Bruce Springsteen, but it's a new song. I wonder, Keith, whether you're going to hear from Queen's lawyers. Um, you your your headline this week is AI can't be stopped. Of course. Queen did Don't Stop Me Now. Others have done songs like You Can't Stop Me Now. Have you been doing a little bit of intellectual theft this week, Keith? You know, I am not an original thinker, Andrew. I'm, I'm, I'm a curator. Um, of course, I have to make some decisions about what to curate. And then when I write... You're a typical book, Yorkshireman like Harold Wilson. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What did Wilson talk about? The white heat of technology? He'd be turning in his grave when... Um, Open AI and Chat GPT is changing the world. 
Yeah, but I do have to tell you that that was Dennis Healy, not Harold Wilson, who used that phrase. Are you sure? Yep, you check it out. We'll have to ask chat GPT. In all seriousness, Keith, is, I mean, whether it's this week or last week or next week, something's changed. Are we in a, a post-COVID tech world now? COVID first in, inflated the value of tech companies ridiculously, then deflated them. We got back to normal because everyone got stuck in their homes for two years and then were let out again. Is this chat GPT a new chapter in the history, in, in the, the 21st century history of technology in Silicon Valley? I think it. I think it's part of. Um, it, it, it's very uh, coherent to what happened during COVID. If if you look at how Pfizer and Moderna and others discovered drugs, they used AI uh, to do iterative learning against large data sets to figure out, you know, in a simulation initially, what could kill the COVID virus. Uh, and I think ChatGPT is just another field of AI. And what it tells us, the era we're moving into, is it, it's a post-intuition era. It's an era where data... Oh, I like that. Post-intuition. I might use that as the headline. Post-intuition. It's, a, it's where data and the ability for computers to uh, work on that data can lead to outcomes that would have been previously impossible. So, Keith, for novelists, artists of one kind or another, what happens to intuition in your post-intuition era? Intuition, in, intuition. I'm using it in the pejorative sense of making decisions based on guesswork, and it's more to, in the in the realm of science. Uh, I, I think intuition in the creative field is always going to be more interesting than. That, Do you uh, think it's going to have any impact on politics? I mean. If anything, in America, while everything may be steaming ahead on the tech front, politics seems mired in nonsense of one kind or another. This was the week of Biden's State of the Union when he didn't say very much. Is politics going to be able to use this this chat GPT to, um, to reinvent itself, or is it just uh, going to lag behind? One of your other news stories this week, is of your old friend Lena Khan at the FCC chalking up another defeat. She seems years behind the action these days. Is government going to be able to cope with this? I think government's going to be held more and more accountable. Um, things like fact-checking are going to become super easy to do. And so, uh, you know, politicians... But whose facts? I mean, is it going to be Trump's facts or Joe Biden's facts or Bernie Sanders' facts? Fox News's facts or CNN facts or that was the new, that was the weak facts? Well, the, you know, Andrew, the interesting thing is there is such a thing as just a fact. <laughs> uh, like you said, you can't have your own facts. Um, so I think a computer is really good at just saying that is not a fact. So Donald Trump's in quotes facts would be revealed as not facts very, very quickly as has already happened on Twitter with, you know, uh, an army of fact checkers uh, checking everything he said already exposed him. But a computer could do it in real time. So you, you yeah. And uh, Gary Marcus, who you're debating on Monday, has his own new startup focusing on the use of AI. I'm not sure if it's Chat GPT generative AI um, to address uh, this issue. Um, 
Keith, is there any other news this week? I mean, you we talked a little bit about Lena Khan. Um, some of the big tech companies are reeling. I mean, it's a great week for Microsoft. Um, Amazon hasn't responded. Google stock dropped 8% after their own um, generative AI demo uh, was, was shown to not work very well. Uh, how, how is tech broadly dealing with this? Are there winners and losers? There are definitely winners and losers. I mean, this week, Google was a huge loser because um, their chat bot um, that competes with ChatGPT uh, in the promotional video accompanying their launch of it uh, made a simple error in facts. And that was uh, revealed and exposed and became the main story. Uh, now, we weirdly enough, ChatGPT makes similar mistakes but doesn't get as hammered because it's a private company. Google. Right. So for people who own Google stock, it was a bad week. I would, I own some Google stock. I would get my wife to sue Google. Well, the only problem is she works for them. So, and she's a lawyer. So I don't think that would work very well. But there are going to be ups and downs on this. I mean, it's always snakes and ladders. You also predicted in the past on this show that you think that Microsoft will fail in. Uh, integrating this new technology, which they're behind, they put $10, million, $10 billion into it, into being their search engine, which has proved to be a failure. This week, they came out with their intentions. Is that clearly going to end in disaster for Microsoft, Keith? Well, I don't think it'll end in disaster. I think it'd be pretty neutral. Uh, Microsoft is, is very far away in third place among search engines. And if this is an attempt to get them back into first place, which their CEO Satya Nadella did say was the goal this week, um, I think it'll fail, and it'll fail because of their um, uh, their fear of removing Bing uh, as we know it and replacing it with this this conversational interface. They're, they, they're not going to go the whole way, and they've actually buried uh, chat. Uh, you know, beneath a click, and they've retained the old Bing interface as being the primary interface, which, you know, and it isn't very good. Um, so, you know, I think that they're going to be the victim of their own conservatism. Which and it's interesting that Sam Altman, whatever you think about him, he's anything but conservative. I, I wonder if he's scratching his head or tearing his hair out, getting into bed with such a conservative company, but... I doubt. I, honestly, I doubt he cares what Microsoft does because... Well, they him, own 50% of the company, don't they? Not really, no. They own a bunch of the revenue, but they don't own 50% of the company. And, you know, what they do with his product uh, doesn't really matter because they're paying him a lot of money. Um, and meanwhile, he's going to develop his own path with ChatGPT that doesn't depend on them. And, and that's the advice I'd, I'd give him. I, I was dependent on Microsoft. With yeah, your, one of your companies hit the Microsoft wall. One thing I would predict almost inevitably is Sam Altman will experience the, the Elon Musk effect at some point, but that's in the future. There was also one piece that just came out, Keith, on the BBC, which um, I think may have missed the newsletter this week, a quantum breakthrough. We've heard about this before. If indeed there is this quantum breakthrough, which will revolutionize computing, what would that mean to the chat GPTs of the world, to generative AI? Would it make it suddenly archaic? 
No, the opposite. Uh, quantum computing is essentially computing that can do more things more rapidly. So if you think of computing as really math problems, a quantum computer can solve a math problem faster and easier and m way more complex problems. So thing, thing, things like natural language interfaces and passing lots and lots of data and making sure you get it right when you answer a question become easier if computing power escalates. And, and, and that's what compute, quantum computing is. I will say it's far away from being usable yet. Um, uh, quantum computing is not binary. Uh, it goes way beyond binary. So uh, the computer languages and the ability to do queries uh, are super hard. And therefore, it can only do a limited set of things. Like you can give it an encryption algorithm to break. Uh, and if there is a, if there is a cure for cancer, it will come not from chat GPT, but from quantum computing. Yeah. Well, that's all in the future. We will deal with that in future shows. Uh, your startup of the week, Keith, though, goes back. It's all about failure, Mastodon. Um, what, what's so interesting about Mastodon? Why do you choose them as your startup of the week? They're there. If anything, they should be your finish up of the week. Yeah, they're, they're in startup of the week. Uh, uh, this, this is British irony to, to, to viewers who live in, in, in cultures where irony is not a thing. I didn't know you had irony in Yorkshire, Keith. We do have irony in Yorkshire uh, 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 and steel as well. Uh, <laughs> but, you mine uh, irony, right? Your father was a, an irony miner. He was. So basically, um, Mastodon is the supposed replacement to Twitter. And everyone who hates Elon Musk has flocked to Mastodon as a replacement. And <laughs> or had flocked. They're not anymore flocking. And now it's a sad, shrinking group of people. And Twitter, despite its challenges, which are many, seems to be surviving just fine. So I think making Mastodon Startup of the Week was my way of uh, shining a light on their failure. Well, things change. Six days is a long time in tech and in politics and in startup land. Mastodon, which was everyone's favorite a few weeks ago now, is dead. Finally, speaking of Twitter... They're always going to be our startup of the week. Uh, tweet of the week, Keith, to end our show. Tweet of the week, super important, although a bit obscure. Um, you know, because, because of the correction in the public markets, venture capitalists have stopped writing checks. And companies um, are being encouraged by their investors to take debt along with equity sales to fund their operations. And this is a guy, Samir Kaji, who runs Allocate, um, who used to be the guy at Silicon Valley Bank who gave debt to companies, strongly advised them not to take it. Uh, and, and he explains, if you click through on this, why not to take it. It's it, a very important message. Um, you, you got burned by it. I got close to being burned by it. But what's the alternative? If your company's going bust or your company's running out of money, out of runway, you can't pay your staff, and the VCs have closed their, their wallets, then what's the choice? What else could you do except take debt? I, I think you can, uh, you can try to get revenue. Or you can, you can steal, to, I guess. Or you can sell equity. De debt is basically something you have to pay back in a fixed period of time. 
And if your company can't generate the revenues to do that, they will force you to close the company down. So Some things never change. I just did a show on uh, Calvin Coolidge, the American president, who didn't like debt. Debt is as bad now in 2023 as it was in 1923, Keith, at least according to Silicon Envi insiders like yourself. No, debt, debt is how the human race is enslaved through debt. Think about what a mortgage is. It's, it's a lifetime debt. And there's no, there's no preconceived reason why homeownership should take the form of debt. It, it, but it does. Same with car buying. You know, usually a car is a five-year, six-year debt for poorer people especially. So debt is um, it, it's an inhuman enslavement. Uh, people with money enslaving those without it and seeking interest um, on, on the debt as well as getting their money back. It's not a, a good human instrument. So uh, Samir's right when it comes to startups, but I think more broadly... Fintech innovation would do well to find ways of funding things that don't involve debt. And there are many possible answers to that.